What is up? Welcome to Bring in the Backups. I'm your host, Eric Helwig. How are you guys doing? What a show we have for you today. What I refer to many times on the show as a Valentine's Day show, even though that was two days ago by the time you're listening to this. What can I say? I'm a man of the moment. I recorded it on St. Valentine's Day. And I call it St. Valentine's Day. I try to remember the true spirit of St. Valentine's Day, which is, of course, a man 1,800 years ago getting beheaded. Uh, On the show today, we have Liz Mealy, hilarious comic. We're talking Jesse Palmer on the show before Liz comes on. You guys know Jesse Palmer, star of The Bachelor and horrifically inefficient NFL quarterback. Also on the show, roll out the red carpet for my father. (laughs) Here comes my dad, The, the moment you've all been waiting for. And we talk about some exciting developments with my merch store, baby. Give me that money. Follow Bring In The Backups on Instagram and on Twitter right now. We're going to have some cool contests coming up very soon. you got to be following us to be a part of that. And don't forget to review this podcast, guys. Huh? We get to 200 reviews. I'm going to get my fat ass out to a track and run a 40-yard dash. I'm beating Tom Brady's time. Review that podcast. we got to get to 200. Right now we're at about 110. Listen to this review. huh? I saw this one. My daughter told me about this podcast. She's not much of a sports fan. After listening to several of the podcasts, I asked her where she heard of him. Eric was her improv teacher in NYC. A very obscure topic, but he is funny, very knowledgeable. Where he hit home for me, being from Kentucky and a big Tim Couch fan, he was on spot that Tim Couch got a bad deal in Cleveland on an expansion team and got no protection. Maybe a topic... Oh, this is so long. God. Maybe a topic could be Terry Handratty of Pittsburgh... Oh. Give me fucking advice on who to have on my show. And backed up Terry Bradshaw. He was always holding a clipboard. More of your wife. Okay, it's not called bringing the backups with Eric Helwig and his wife. Okay, it's my show. I should be enough for you. Who names a dog Gordon? Okay, this review sucks. I don't know why I picked this one, but it's pissing me off. I named a dog Gordon. That's my dog's name. Looking forward to more podcasts. Yeah, well, fuck you, back nine. No, I'm kidding. Thanks for... uh, Listen to the show. Uh, th- that got more aggressive than I thought it would. Uh, it's an awesome show. Like I said, Liz Mealy, Jesse Palmer, my father, a merch store. What else do you people want? Enjoy the show. This is Bringing the Backups with Eric Helwig. What if that's how the show started from now on? Wouldn't that be a bummer? What is up, everybody? Oh, man. Bring in the backups. Here comes another episode straight to you, fucks. A Valentine's Day episode of Bring in the, Valen- uh, bring in the Valentines. That's the new name of the show. Bring in the, bring in the heartthrobs. See, you guys are going to be hearing this two days after Valentine's Day. But for me, I am recording on Valentine's Day, the most romantic Slash commercially viable romantic holiday in the year. All right. I haven't seen anything advertised for Valentine's Day this year, but that's that's because we've all been too busy painting with our own poop. The corporations forgot to ask us for our money for a necklace from Zales. That's what happened. All right. Valentine's Day, it, it came and went. 
No, I'm kidding. Me and my wife, we have a, a nice little evening planned for ourselves, okay? That's our Valentine's Day, okay? I'm going to take a shower for the first time in four months, run a comb through the locks of hair, use that dandruff shampoo that's been... <laughs> It doesn't look like, like a mountaintop on my shoulders. I'm going to try to look a little more attractive. We got a little Valentine's Day plan. I hope everybody does. I hope you guys have people in your life. I know that I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm sure single shaming is the, the newest thing that I can get canceled for. I'm not going to get into cancel culture this show. Am I? No. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how people are single. I was... I was a mess when I was a single man, all right? And I was a single man for many years, just dipping out of toxic relationships. Toxic relationships. I like using words I learned in therapy. I was doing that for a long time. And then, and then I, you know, I, I found the, the woman of my dreams. I settled down, got a little healthier, started going to the old therapy. I did. I, therapy made a big difference in, uh, in my life, in my relationship. I actually went back to therapy yesterday. I hadn't been going for a couple months. I said, maybe I didn't need it. Yeah, it turns out, I don't know if you've been listening to the podcast, I've been slowly spiraling into oblivion. I guess I need it, huh? Now's a good time to have a therapist. I hate virtual therapy because I'm like, yeah, you know, you know who I really trust all my deepest, darkest secrets and regrets with? Google. I'd love Google to know everything I've ever done that I'm ashamed of. Every thought I have. <laughs> yeah, I, I love to just put that online and trust their information security. I actually got stood up by my therapist. This was like a week ago. Last Saturday, I was supposed to have a therapy date. New therapist. First thing, didn't show up. Uh, what about my fear of abandonment? I don't have abandonment. I have other things. Just made me pissed off. And then I had to tell my therapist I was pissed off. You know, you got to do that. You can't pretend like you're not pissed off. I, I told the therapist. I sent him an email. I was like, this is bullshit. Do I get a free therapy session? Huh? Two for one. Bonus hour of crying about my father saying I don't want to be him. You know, that's what it is. And by the way, my father, funny I should mention him. He makes a little appearance on the show today because when I recorded some of my bits a few months ago, I was living in his house. So guess who comes into the show today? Old Daddy-O. The guy that I complain about every show, whether I'm mentioning him directly or not, in a way, I'm always complaining about him. My father appears on the show. You won't know his name. I won't tell you his name. I don't trust you with it. Yeah, Dad makes the show. Going back to therapy was good, you know? I can finally talk to her about my celiac disease and not you guys anymore. I'm still processing my celiac disease. This is what I'm going to say because celiac disease gets no respect from anybody. You tell somebody you have celiac disease, they're like, oh, does that mean like you can't have bread? Uh, yeah, that, that's one thing that it means. It means a lot of things. Like, oh, well, you know, it's a good time to have it. You know, you live in L.A., you'll be fine. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I, on second thought, I have diabetes. Oh, my God, really? No, but that's the reaction you should have for celiac. Fuck you. How about that? That's what I want to do. I want to like have a. I want to just name a disease that people know better, and then just be like, "I oh, I misspoke. It's celiac." But your reaction was correct. Have to explain to motherfuckers that this is different. What sucks about celiac is you can't have gluten, right? It kills you. But then there's also people that just have gluten-free diets and talk like douchebags and annoy waiters asking how they bred their fucking chicken carbonara, and celiacs get painted in with that. 
Nobody goes like, I'm on a, I'm on a diabetes diet this week. I just want to trim a couple pounds. So I'm just on a pre-diabetes diet. Like, it doesn't exist. Celiac has to deal with, we get lumped in with some insufferable people. Oh, God. I just don't want to sound like a Hollywood pussy, but I just, it's, it's a lost cause. I'm going to sound like that, whatever. I'm just coming to terms with it, but I'm going to try to let some of my celiac steam out of the teapot with my therapist before I talk to you guys, all right? So you don't have to hear about me not being able to have a slice of pizza for 10 minutes on the top of every podcast episode, all right? I want to tell everybody right now uh, something else. Please follow the Bring in the Backups Instagram page on Instagram. Uh, did I say Instagram twice? Was this not, show not polished enough for you? Sorry. <laughs> Whew, I'm fired up on Valentine's Day. Again, for you guys, two days after Valentine's Day, but I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to pretend like I'm doing this on Tuesday morning at 1.30 before I release the podcast. All right, it's not. Sunday early evening, right before my Valentine's Day plans with the wife. That's when I'm talking. But I want you to follow my social media. Hook for bringing the backups on Instagram. It's just the name, bringing the backups. On Twitter, it's Backups Pod. Very exciting. What I have shipping to me right now are the first items of merch for this show. Oh, hell yeah. If this was a morning show, I'd have some sort of sound effect with zoo animals, people celebrating. Probably an old man going, fuck yeah, something like that. I, don't, I didn't plan for this moment. But I have merch coming. Straight to you guys. Straight to the source. And this merch, I will tell you, by the way, it's pretty cool because I tried out a bunch of different merch, printed it on different shirts, and then I'm going to take the ones I like. But the ones I don't like, I'm going to do giveaways on social media. So can I, can I say giveaways? I think I can say that. So follow my Instagram Bring in the backups on Instagram. I keep saying it twice. And then backups pod on Twitter. And then we're going to be doing that. Hopefully by the next show, I'll have some cool shit to give you guys. Later on the show, I'm talking to very funny comic Liz Mealy, who if you're in New York, you know Liz Mealy. Maybe not. Maybe you know her around the country, too. I mean, she's a huge comic. She's definitely bigger than, you know, all of my doofy friends that I've had on for the first 12 episodes. So you're going to love her. Hang out for that. It's exciting to have a big comic uh, to interview on the show. We don't talk about football for a second. So if that's why you're here, baby, this podcast is not for you. But we do have a fun conversation. We uh, get to chat about New York and stuff like that. So hang on for that. And I am stoked for the merch. I think you guys are going to like it. It's going to be the first chance for you guys to support the show buying something. And like I said, I've hinted at it for a while There's a Patreon coming. I might even have like a little thing you can email to get on the list for that so you are right on board when I start. What I don't want is to have six people on my Patreon. Whenever there's a Patreon with less than 15 people donating, it just feels like I'm watching somebody ask their parents for allowance. I don't want to do that. So what I'd love to do is if you're a fan of the show, you can let me know that you're interested so when the Patreon does drop in a couple months, we've got some people lined up that are already interested. All right, with that said... Big things coming for the show, your chance to support. The longer I talk, the more likely I say something that will exclude me from ever working in a a writer's room. So I really need to start getting fans (laughs) supporting directly. So we're going to try 
to get that started very soon. Like I said, your thing to do, follow us on social media right now. Um, what else has been up before we get to our first pre-planned bit? You guys know how I roll with them bits. I do a little, this is how my week's been. A pre-planned bit into our quarterback, Jesse Palmer, by the way. We're doing Jesse Palmer today, huh? New York fans. I picked Jesse Palmer because he's a New York quarterback. Liz Mealy's a New York comic. But yeah, and like I said, we didn't mention football once, so I, I could have picked somebody from the fucking CFL. It wouldn't have mattered. But I will be talking Jesse Palmer before we get to the interview. Oh, I did a podcast I want to tell you guys about. Uh, it's called Opening Kickoff Pod. Uh, it was Dave, Peyton, Dan, and Brandon were the guys. I was Brandon wasn't there, so I think Dan might be like a subbing guy for them. I did their podcast, hung out for an hour on it, opening kickoff pod. Give them a follow on uh, Instagram and Twitter. They're very, very well put together sports show. That's like one of the cool things about doing the podcast is I've had people reach out to me or people that whose shows I've listened to that I've reached out to that I've gotten to do like a bunch of people's smaller podcast. It's just fun hearing people's accents from different parts of the country. I did a Packers one. The names escape me now, which I feel bad. I, I here, hang on for a second. I can't mention that I did somebody's podcast and not actually mention the name of the podcast. That would just be too. Give me a minute here to pull it up. Scony Johnny. There it is. I did Scony Johnny. But they're like they're like Wisconsin dudes. Just like, hey. <laughs> I did a Boston show, sports and shit. That was hilarious. They're just, it's cool. You just hear them talking. You're like, where the fuck are you from? They're from here, good old USA. We all sound different. It's a beautiful thing. Opening kickoff podcast, anyway. I have no idea where those guys are from. They, they sound middle of the country. Who knows? I think they're from Maryland. I think Dave is in Maryland. And Dave, if I'm wrong, please feel free to write me a one-star review and tell me to go fuck myself. <laughs> I think you're in Maryland. We never got to it on the show. But yeah, it was, a, it was a really fun show. I had a great time on it. So check those guys out. Throw them some love. And then, yeah, the rest, honestly, the rest of my time, I've just been, you know, we're looking at buying a very small piece of property here. Been a renter for 35 years. Might be an owner soon. So yeah, just going, you know, talking to LA brokers and stuff. And, you know, I figure, you know, California's melting. People are leaving in droves. What could be a better time to invest in the housing market in California right before it breaks off and sinks into the sea? So that's what I'm going to do. I'm buying a house that will be underwater in four or five years. About, not a house, what am I saying? A, a condo. I'm going to buy the patio on somebody else's condo and have to scale three stories to sleep on it. That will be what I buy. That's what I can afford. That's about the price range I'm in. It has been an interesting two weeks full of that type of stuff. I'm sure my frustration or joy for separate moments will bleed into my breaking down the life of Jesse Palmer as a quarterback and as a uh, TV personality, which is what he is. And we are going to talk about him, but we're not going to do it until my father makes an appearance on the show. Oh, yeah, that's right. This is my friends and family support my pod. I don't remember what the fucking name of the bit is. Just, you know, I guess I'll say it in five seconds anyway, so here it is. If you want something done right, you need to do it yourself. Unless it's telling your audience how to support your podcast, because that shit gets old real quick. I think you should outsource it. And that's what I've done. Welcome to My Friends and Family Plug My Show. These are real people with real reasons why you should support me. I hope you listen. I hope you hear. 
and I do hope you support. Hi, I'm Eric's father. I spent 24 years in the United States Army, and now I'm on my comedian son's podcast about backup quarterbacks. If you can hear the pride of my voice, you must have really good hearing. Eric is walking a path that I really didn't choose for him. I gave him decades of good advice. He chose his own way. And it's been a little bit of a tough pill to swallow. So please go to erichelwig.com to hop on the newsletter. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, rate this show five stars and write a quick review. Please help my son so he's not living in my basement for the next three years. Thank you. Give it up for my dad, who apparently does not know how to clear his throat before he records something for a podcast. Why does he sound like that? Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Dad. I got into calling him father for a little bit. My wife was like, you need to stop doing that right now or it's over. So he's back to dad. I think she found something creepy about calling. I just uh, To me, calling somebody father is funnier. There's that respect that you're giving them, but is it like a, is it ironic? I don't know. <laughs> Okay, fine. He's back to dead. Jesse Palmer. Who knows who Jesse Palmer is, huh? Probably was not a great choice for the podcast. He's famous for what he did after football. He was not good at football, obviously. I mean, I'll go over his lifetime stats here, but I mean, but he was uh he was not great. Although going through his Instagram, you can tell that he really loves football and misses it. You know, he posts a lot of photos of himself back when he was on the Giants. I think he was 2001 to 2004, 2005, if I remember correctly. He was backing them up for the uh, for the Kerry Collins seasons. Isn't that guy drunk? I can't remember. Who knows? Oh, am I getting sued? Is Kerry Collins coming after bringing the backups? Two of you are going to buy a shirt, and Kerry Collins is going to get 50% of it because I said he was a drunk. Let's get into Jesse Palmer, all right? First things first, Jesse Palmer started making some YouTube vids about a year ago. They were like, Jesse Palmer works out. Jesse Palmer making a smoothie. He made like 10 of them, and then he quit. I always love when you can find abandoned projects on YouTube and Instagram, like a a short film that somebody made where they're posting, 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 and then like one day in 2006, they just stop and (laughs) I love finding abandoned things that people tried to make work and stopped. And by the way, if you go, if you Google me, you will find nothing but abandoned projects. But you can just see they start with like the the hope of like this is gonna be the thing, and then you know after a couple tries, you're just like, okay, five hundred people watched it, I'm done. So you can see one of his abandoned. I mean, I actually watched a couple of them. Like I watched that he had like a tough workout in one of them. It's like learning how to cook. He's a he's a very engaging personality. It didn't work out for him in the YouTube lifestyle, I guess, is what it would be. His YouTube lifestyle thing didn't work out, but I highly recommend checking out. Just I, I, I don't know. I just Googled Jesse Palmer in YouTube, and it popped up. So, you know, you'll find it. What else I found? I found out that he was engaged, which is because he went on The Bachelor. So you're like, oh, this is where you find love. Did, did Jesse Palmer find love in season five of The Bachelor? Of course, the answer is fuck no, because those shows are phony, insane, mean-spirited horseshit. Uh, so, no, he did not. Yeah, No, he, like, dated her for a month afterwards and broke up. And I don't ever blame the people, because it's like, 
They, they don't let you have your phones. You, they just get you drunk when you're in this little, like, destination with, like, 30 chicks that want to fuck your brains out. You, you just go insane. You're, like, you're, like, you're so love-starved that you think that you are in love with someone. But you're not. You're just, you're just a, a, a rat in a little maze that's being manipulated with 30 pieces of cheese. Like, it's just not healthy. It's not healthy for the chicks when it's 30 dudes. Like, it's just in, it's insane. And we watch it like it's fun. But, man, and, and he was in the reality TV, Bachelor season five. Like, that's going back to when reality TV was really wilding out. I mean, my, my wife has been watching America's Next Top Model in the house, which... I mean, look, guys, I don't know what to say. Like, I did get invested in, in, in uh, Cycle 19. <laughs> it's good. I'm not going to lie and say it's not entertaining TV. It is, but it's, it's horror. It's, you can tell what they're doing to the girls. Like, it's just not right. And, and Tyra's show's insane, too, because they're like, I mean, do, do, the stuff she says. There's this one chick that was like, like she was on a model shoot and the director was being mean to her or she or whatever. She was in a bad mood. And Ty was like, when you're a model on, on a set, you don't have a say. You just shut your mouth and take it. And I'm like, what the? How does, how does this advice hold up in 2021? Jesus Christ. You just get on your knees and you blow Like, all right, Tyra, thanks. I don't know, all that stuff. I, I just think people excuse it away because it's fun, including me, all right? I acknowledge I am part of, you know, I, if I was some on a mountain, I'm better than people, then I would have turned off America's Next Top Model when my wife started watching. I would have left the room and gone into my, my bedroom and read, uh, you know, Sapiens or something. But I didn't. I sat down and I fucking watched it and was like... Oh, that bitch did not just say that. Like, I got right on into it. I just I just settled on in to Cycle 19. They call them Cycles on America's Next Top Model. Did you guys know that? Anyway, uh, he's engaged now in real life. Like, after... <laughs> I think he's like 43. He's a extremely attractive man. So, you know, I guess he's after he's been boning his way around New York, <laughs> he's ready to settle down with... A very nice, seems like a very nice lady that he's with. You know, they seem very happy on their Instagram. You know, who knows? It could be insanely abused. She could be kicking the shit out of him. But they seem happy. I'm happy for him. Like, I'm happy for anybody who uh, finds a good relationship. I was talking, he was talking in, uh, <laughs> he was talking in one interview. And it's, uh, I think he was, like, getting interviewed by, like, a former football player. Or, like, somebody that was, like, on the Giants with him. And he was like, I'll tell you what, man, she's a great chick. She's out of my league. And I was like, oh, does out of your league mean she, she actually threw for more than five touchdowns in a league? Because you did not do that, my friend. Sorry, Jesse. I guess I won't have you on the show later. Although that's not true. I will. If anybody can have a sense of humor about their career, you know, you're welcome. Jesse Palmer's welcome on the show. He would be a famous person to get on the show. I mean, anybody that comes on this show has to be willing to let it be the end of anything else they'd ever do. So it'll be a while until I book one of those guys. He also won a, he's the host, he was the host of Daily Mail TV, which I don't even know what that is. It won a daytime Emmy, but then they replaced him with some dude from MSNBC, so I don't, I don't know, maybe they're, maybe they're getting woke or something. Who knows? But they got rid of Palmer, but he's got like a million jobs as a broadcaster. 
I mean, I'm just on his Wikipedia page right now. His broadcasting career is way, way longer than his football playing career. Yeah, he's a color coordinator for Fox. Then he's on the NFL Network as an analyst and commentator for the draft. This is back in like 2007. Then he and he's joins ESPN. He's a studio analyst for College of Football Live. He's on ABC Telecast. He does ESPN Thursday Night College Football Games. He hosts a show with David Pollock on ESPNU. He covers another show on he's on SEC Network, probably because he was Florida Gator. He's a correspondent for CTV's Entertainment News Program, eTalk. I don't even know what these things are. He just seems like he's been busy. He was on Law and Order Special Victims Unit. That's hilarious. I got I got to watch that. I did no. I'm doing less and less research on these guys in case you guys haven't noticed the trend. Less and less research. Yeah, he's just like he's just like a TV guy. Oh, and he does the commercials for Rooms to Go. That's nice. Yeah, his actual football career, I mean, god, look at these numbers. Okay. 63 for 120 attempts. So a little bit of above 50%. What would that be? That'd be like 51.5, right? Passing yards, 562 yards on 63 completions. Not so good. Three touchdowns, four picks. Woo! That ain't good. But I'll tell you what is good. Making an NFL salary for four years. From 2001 to 2004, he's on the Giants. Oh, I got that right. He's on the 49ers for 2005. And the Montreal Alouettes, because he's actually from Toronto. He's a Canadian. Uh, he, they were going to sign him to play, but then he was like, yeah, I'd rather make way more money in something that matters. No offense, Canadian listeners. I know I got you. I can see on Podbean where people listen. I know I have 30 downloads from Canada. Now, how the fuck I have those, I don't know, but I know I got them. Actually, I do know how I got them. I got them from the, uh, I probably got them from the Cleo Lemon episode. Because he was in the NFL for 15 seconds and then was a CFL guy. So that's probably how I actually, that's probably where you guys came from. But I can't imagine you've hung around this long. That was like 10 episodes ago. If you're still listening to the show and you're Canadian, write into erichelwigcomedy at gmail.com and I'll give you uh, one of my kidneys. That's how confident I am that nobody from Canada is still listening. Jesse Palmer does seem like a genuinely nice guy, I gotta say. Like, I, I was looking at his Instagram. I was like, this guy, you know, he's earnest in what he's trying to do, okay? I don't think there's going to be any tapes of him laughing about <laughs> him laughing with Trump about grabbing pussy. I think he seems like a well-behaved, nice guy. But I don't know. I mean, you know, you can you never know. I didn't actually watch The Bachelor. Maybe he was a – maybe he could have been a diva piece of shit on that show. But, I mean, like I said, the guy's, the guy's been working consistently – since 2006 when he retired. So that's good for him. And, that, and we've also had multiple Florida Gators. His, most of his success, by the way, football-wise, it came while he was at Florida, That his senior season. He was a Gator from 97 to 2000. And he was competing with Rex Grossman, fan of the show, friend of the show, Rex Grossman. We did an episode on him. And he was competing with Doug Johnson. Huh? Who doesn't remember Doug Johnson? Could you have a more forgettable name than Doug Johnson? Maybe Doug Dugson. The name Doug, it really puts you in the fucking, I'm, when I disappear, no one will remember me 
category. Doug Johnson, who I, honestly, Doug Johnson might have a little, he might have a little trip coming on this show as well. We might see Doug Johnson make an appearance on bringing the backups at some point. We'll see. But yeah, man, that's Jesse Palmer. Hot man. 42 years of age. He's six foot two. I don't know what else to say about him. I'm just reading the Wikipedia page. I don't do the research, people. You know the show by now. I'm trying to work in some football because, like I said, once Liz Mealy comes on the show, we don't talk about it for a second. So for the people here that are like, oh, football, baby, I got to give you something. I'm giving you something. He was on the Giants. I mean, didn't they go to the, would they go to the Super Bowl in 2000? I can't remember if they were 2000 or 2001. I want to say they were 2000. That was the Ravens Super Bowl where they just got smashed. That Ray, that Ray Lewis in his prime defense. Every time he stops a running back, the the pile up gets up, and the running back's been stabbed. And Ray Lewis is like, "I don't know who did it." <laughs> That's a defense you do not want to face. Is the defense where somebody that Ray Lewis knew was stabbing the running back at the bottom of the pile? You don't want to fuck with that. Yeah, I don't know if he. I think he might have come on the season after. And I, and I think he's he might be set in some sort of history with his Canadian heritage in the NFL. I think I read something about that. Here it is. Palmer was the set okay, the second Canadian after Mark Rippon. Oh man, you remember Mark Rippon from the old Washington Do I say it? The old Washington team of football players, no way related to Native Americans. Yeah, Rippon was the first Canadian player, and then Palmer was uh the second. You know, that the, the next boy that wakes up in Canada thinking, I need to get the fuck out of this shithole and play in the NFL, he will look to Mark Rippon, and then he'll look to Jesse Palmer, and then he'll be like, who the fuck is Jesse Palmer? And he'll look right back to Mark Rippon and be like, I'll do what that guy did. <laughs> or maybe if, they, maybe if he's like, I want to go to the NFL and hold the clipboard for four years and then host a couple rose ceremonies for The Bachelor, maybe that guy We'll look at Jesse Palmer. I mean, what you got to do with Jesse Palmer is like he's a good example of like whatever whatever door opens, you got to walk through it. All right, I'm sure Bob Saget didn't picture himself when he was a regular at the comedy store, like having a sitcom for 12 years with a bunch of kids. But it's like, what are you gonna do? I didn't think I'd have a podcast. I thought I'd be making movies, but you know, the industry spoken loud and clear. Podcasting for me, Jesse Palmer. <laughs> the football gods have spoken, my friend. Enjoy the Food Network <laughs> for the last 60 years of your life. Now, good for Jesse Palmer, man. He, he is, uh, he, like I said, an admirable career. And, and also, you know, well, let's, let's end on something positive. He's a fantastic analyst. I love college football. I watch college football shows. Um, I get really into the season. I'm so, so excited that the NCAA uh, game is coming back for PS5, like, Oh, my God, I'm going to waste a lot of time on that. Jesse Palmer is one of my favorite guys when he comes on to analyze games, especially anything on the SEC network to do when he talks Florida, FSU, Alabama. I'm like, this guy knows his shit. This guy was in the shit at Florida in, like, the glory years with Steve Spurrier when they were rocking, battling Doug Johnson and Rex Grossman. Man, those are the glory years, baby. So Jesse Palmer... uh, like I said, never going to come on the show, but worth a follow on his social media as well. This is a this is a this is a man to look up to. Three touchdowns, four interceptions, but he's passed for a lot of yards in the game of life.
in the game of life. All right, let's do another pre-planned bit. Welcome back for another edition of On This Day in Backup History. Today takes us to Philadelphia, to the street where Eric Helwig's father grew up, for a backup quarterback. Browning Nagel is the younger brother of Curtis Nagel, some kid Eric Helwig's father played with in Northeast Philadelphia. Years later, Eric Helwig was writing bits for On This Day in Backup History on his podcast when his father exclaimed, I knew a guy that played on the Jets, Browning Nagel. Well, I knew his brother. Browning was a kid. He always had a full diaper. That's what I remember. It's weird the things you remember. Don't put this in your podcast. That's not going in. Good. I don't want some ex-NFL quarterback coming by and kicking my ass. <laughs> some behind the scenes there, huh? I left it in. Thanks for the memories, Dad. I spelled that Fallout Boy style. I pronounced it Fallout Boy style for you. Thanks for the memories. Remember those goofy-ass emo song titles? My lady, you've made me feel very bad, but I have something come up, and the comeuppance will be twice fold what you've done to me, says the man. Like, the titles are just like, just fucking start the song already. Like, who's going to repeat this title back to you? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I want to say it was like like that My Chemical Romance type of band. They couldn't just be like, the song is just called Bullied at School, which is clearly what all the fucking songs are about. They have to be like, oh, the time is coming. It's high noon at dusk, and I have a, a stopwatch that has your time on it, sir. Goofy emo idiots trying to be creative. This is my music, by the way. This is the that is the music I put on when I'm like, I need to feel something. <laughs> I saw My Chemical Romance at a at a concert one time. Gerard Way came out. It's the lead singer. They had like a vampire phase where they were all, the whole band was vampires. I don't know if it's a phase. Maybe they are vampires and everything else has been covering up that and it wasn't a phase. It was like their most honest time. But it seems like they were putting on makeup and dressing up like fucking vampires. And so there was, it was like a Christmas show. It was right around Christmas. And he had presents on stage, like boxes. And he was talking like a demon in between songs. We'd go, uh, I got some some presents for you, huh? Does anybody want some presents out there? Okay, here they are. And then he threw these presents into the audience, and the audience tore him open. And he goes, uh, Open them up! Open them up! See what's inside of them. You know what's inside of them? Nothing. Like your souls. One, two, three, four. Like that was how they would (laughs) go into songs. I laughed so hard at it. I can't remember if I've told this on the podcast before. There's a chance I have. I want to say as a comedian, I am very excited. Oh, well, let me say something else, too, actually. Before we get to that, I want because I want to plug the Patrice O'Neill doc. Plug it like I'm in it or I know anybody that is. I don't. We'll get to the Patrice O'Neill thing in a second. Um, all the NFL news has been – this has been more exciting than the season with all the quarterbacks that are moving around and all the trade rumors. And I want to say, if you are a fan of this show, if I see Marcus Mariota – or Taylor Heineke, who's better for Washington blog. If you're bringing the backups fan, you better you better damn well be supporting the most backup-y player you can, all right? 
Taylor Heineke, all the way, next rumor, please. If you're a fan of this show, I don't want to see you sticking up for drafting a young guy. No, this podcast supports the bridge quarterback, baby. Bridgewater. Bring in Bridgewater. Someone give Nate Sudfield a chance. Okay, this is the show that you're listening to right now. We are not, you know what's funny is like when people talk about politics all the time and it's really just their like their own like gut feeling and they have a hot take and they say it with no facts behind it. But then you listen to sports shows and they're like being nerds about like what kind of trade you should get. And like, oh, they could really trade up for an extra three picks. And it's like, you know, you're supposed to be a fan about sports. That's where it's fun to be uneducated. And then you're supposed to be a boring fact wonk when it comes to politics. So we're all dealing in facts, but we have it reversed. This show supports boring-ass journalism that plays it right down the center, that doesn't play to political sides, and sports journalism that is complete garbage, all right? And that's what I am about. Nate Sudfield is a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. I'll tattoo that on my fucking forehead. If a Canadian listener emails erichelwigcomedy at gmail.com in the next two weeks, I know nobody's still listening. Anyway, I just I wanted to make that point. You stick up for the backups on this show. Someone else you want to stick up for? Patrice O'Neill. This show obviously pretends to be a football show, but it's not. It's comedy. Hopefully you're laughing. Patrice is one of the greatest. All right, and they got a documentary coming out on Comedy Central. I think it's on the 19th. I'm super excited for it. Yeah, Killing is Easy. That's the name of the show. So any comedy fans, Patrice O'Neill doc, you don't want to miss it. It's going to be fucking awesome. I gotta say, I'd love to see all the comics on Twitter being like, Patrice O'Neill is a legend, man. And then I go back in their timeline and they're shitting on other comics. (laughs) Like a month before, I'm like, you would be the motherfuckers digging up old tough crowd clips and trying to ruin his life if he was still alive. So you can just fuck off with your, I'm excited for the Patrice documentary phony action now that he's gone and he can't say something to piss you off, all right? Real comics are okay hearing opposing people's views. You want to hear opposing people's views so you can either trash them and make fun of them or if they're a friend and you're actually concerned about them, you could address it. <laughs> Why are people scared to hear opinions they don't like? What What is this? Cancel culture won't stop until every conservative is hosting a fucking podcast. That's what it's like. That's what they want. I think podcasting really is the last stop before you just go get a job at a construction site. Like, it really does seem like when everything else has failed, this is where, you know, it's fun. Like, like, I'm not lying. I'm having a great time doing it. You know, I feel very creative on the podcast. I feel very at home. I feel like it speaks towards my skills as a performer, as an entertainer. But let's be real. This is where fucking dreams go to die. This is the last scream of a man that's been shot in an alleyway and nobody's coming to help. We got one more pre-planned bit for you. Then we're getting to our interview. And like I said, Liz Mealy's hilarious. We were, we, why I keep saying we? I, I was happy. I was happy to have Liz on the show. I saw her in New York perform a bunch of times. I had her on my show out here in L.A., So she was on the short list to have as soon as I felt comfortable doing a remote interview where I wasn't stammering and fucking up the tech. So she was was right up there at the top. So definitely hang out for it. But before we do that, you guys know what's up. Pre-planned bit. Bring in the Backups presents Letters Home 
from the bench. October 14, 1996. Craig Erickson writes, My sweet Gregory, to be a hushed homosexual in the NFL is a bleak campaign in one's own mind. I oft muse upon a conjectural claim. Would I be starting caliber if I wasn't harboring fictions of the heart? Nights are abominable in the heat. The humid Miami air forges sweat that beads on my forehead and evaporates into oblivion. Not unlike this meridional metropolis melting into the sea. Hopefully, one day, there will be gay football players. Maybe an all-gay team like the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. I only assume they're an all-gay team based on the name. Maybe the Packers. It feels like we have options if we want to go the all-gay team route. Gregory, the day we reunite colors my dreams. Forever yours, Craig. Liz Mealy is a comedian. She has a free YouTube special right now, Self Help Me, you can check out on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Liz Mealy, L-I-Z-M-I-E-L-E. She also has a book coming out, Why Cats Are Assholes. That's going to be available on March 16th. And a weekly podcast called Two Non-Doctors. Follow her on YouTube. Hit her up on Instagram, just at Liz Mealy. She is hilarious. We had a great time interviewing her. So, Enjoy. like actually staying in New York throughout the whole thing? I am I am here. I have very rarely left. When things seemed a little bit better over the summer and the fall, I booked a couple like socially distanced whatever. Numbers were going down and it didn't feel that bad and I hadn't flown yet and I was like maybe I'll try to keep this thing that I booked and I did it, but flying and being at the airport made me so uncomfortable and I went to Florida of all places where they don't <laughs> think this exists. And that made me very uncomfortable. So I did a show in Florida and then I, I was like, I'm already here. I might as well go visit my friend. Um, so I stayed with her for a week. And then I did like a show in Connecticut and I did some outdoor shows in the kind of tri-state area. But for the most part, I really didn't do anything until September. And it was like this week and a half that I did a couple of things. Then um, because I traveled and things just seemed horrible, I didn't go home for Thanksgiving And then I started taking like COVID tests anytime, like right before I was going to go visit my parents and wearing a mask around my parents. So I've seen my parents twice over the holidays. And then I'm actually going to go see my parents again next week. So I'm going to get a COVID test, go visit my parents. And then I'm actually like, I'm not doing anything. And my friend was like, do you want to come back to Florida? And she's like a friend. I've, she's been my friend since I was 10 and we try to see each other once a year. And like, it would work with like, she travels for work and I travel for work. And sometimes we would find somewhere, but this is going to be the third time I've seen her in like a year. And this is like, what are we 10 again? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> but I kind of was like everything that I'm doing, I can do at your place. So, you know, this is the first time that I'm like leaving for a chunk of time, not in like a vacation way, but just in a, I just need to be in another room. Sure. Yeah. Other people. Where do you know her from as a kid? 
We both grew up in Jersey. And okay. so we went to elementary school together. I moved to a different part of Jersey when I was 12 and she moved to Tennessee and then she moved to Florida. Oh, you guys stayed friends even through a childhood move. Oh yeah, we we only had about two and a half years together in childhood, oh, and then wow. we and then she left, and she was my only friend. Like it was kind of like there's a part of me that looks at myself as a twelve year old, and I was like, she's the only person that's ever liked me in my entire life. We took turns every other year where we'd go visit each other. So like I would go to Tennessee, I'd spend a week with her in the summer, and then the next year she would come to Jersey and spend a week with us. Our parents were really supportive. I used to make her packages every couple of months. I been sending her Christmas gifts and birthday gifts since I was 12 years old to the point where like I had to sit her down and be like, Hey, we should just save this money. Cause we buy each other garbage, just like a tape dispenser that looks like a unicorn or like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like just weird shit. None of us, cause we're just weirdos. And we like, and I'll, she'll be like, Oh my God, this is the perfect tape dispenser. I was like, I know I saw it. You had to have it. We buy each other junk. And I was like, we should stop buying each other junk. We don't need any more junk. Like, look at this. We decorate like runaway teenagers. Like, we don't need <laughs> any more junk. Why don't we save our money and go on like a little mini vacation? Like, we'll go do a long weekend somewhere. Or, you know, she has her friends from Tennessee that she no longer sees. I was like, okay, maybe me and your friend Jackie in Tennessee. Like, we could all have like a little girls weekend. Like, so... We had that conversation and then she's like, I bought you something. And then I'm like, well, now I have to buy you something. <laughs> like, we just like, we're just annoying girl. But like, I am very proud of the fact that we've been friends for like, 25 years and most of it has been long distance. I'm jealous of that. So I was a military brat. I moved every two years up until high school. And I've literally tried to Google people that I was friends with in Louisiana when I was eight. And I'm... I feel embarrassed going into the Google type bar being like, John Ryan, Louisiana. Like, that's going to show any – like, the kid yeah, yeah, that yeah. I was a friend with is going to pop up. So, like, the, and then they're also, all – like, your oh. face changes. So, you're, like, looking at a dude and you're like, is he the one that sat in the corner that always wore too much blue? Is that – I'm like, I thought it was a white guy. Yeah. I, no, all my, all my friends are like, as soon as you – I think it's a military kid thing, too. You're just changing environments so much everybody's on the same page of like, yeah, we just play because we're in the same cul-de-sac. And then when you leave, you're just out of our lives. And there's been a couple people that have come back into my life, but it's been random. It's our dads get stationed together somewhere else six years later. I'm like, oh, now we're friends again. But I haven't really been able to track down anybody from my childhood. So the idea that you had a friend, she left, and you guys found a way to keep being friends is like, that's 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 a real friendship. And she, she wasn't a military brat, but her stepdad did move a lot. So she like did went to different parts of Tennessee. She went, I think she went to four different high schools for her four years yeah. in high school. She also had a hard time making friends. And I think we have the same anxious attachment, but we both were chasers when it comes to like making friends and boyfriends and stuff. But she makes me laugh because she's, you know, she's a liberal person living in the South. So she'll see like a Hillary bumper sticker. She like follows people and like leaves messages Hi, I live here. If you want to be friends, I have an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. Like, there's not one person that's met my friend Danny that doesn't love her. But she's she's had that lifestyle of never being in one place and and always kind of being this odd man out in certain uh, uh, states and, and cities and stuff. But I do think the fact that we were weirdos that didn't have any friends that we were like, I, I choose you and I will make, we're going to make this work. <laughs> like, Yeah, like, well, it's that idea of like friends with everyone, friends with no one. <laughs> you, you can you can charm anybody in a moment, but then like to maintain a friendship, you either disconnect and don't make any effort, or you make too much effort, like leaving notes on people's windshields. Yeah. So yeah. it's like I, 
I feel that. Like, it's definitely, like I said, it's nice that, it's nice that she had, even with all that moving, had a, a friend that she kept the whole time in you. For me, I was in a new school every year until high school started. That's so insane. When you're in the moment as a kid, you're not like, oh, God, I really miss my friend from two. Like, you just live. You're like, oh, this is what life is like. And then I'm dating my, I start dating my wife, and she has like a hometown in Long Island where she's from. And we go back, and she's like, oh, yeah, this is the diner where I used to go with my friends. And she's still, there's photos of them playing Little League soccer together. This is sad that I don't have any of this. We didn't even, like, take my shit out of boxes for the last couple moves. It's like, what's the point? Like, we're going to be here for a year and a half. I'm going to move mid-school year. It's going to be a crazy week. I might as well just stay packed for the next time we have to go. And then you realize your emotions have been packed in a box, too. Like, you have, like, a fight with your wife, and you just start packing. And she's like, where are you going? And you're just like, I don't know. I don't know how to resolve issues. I just... I have a duffel bag with all my stuff all the time. Yeah, uh, I started going to therapy a couple years ago, and I've started to, no pun intended, unpack Unpack. some of these (laughs) tendencies. When it's time to be done, I'm ready to go in five minutes. And that's not the healthiest way to be married. So that's like... Yeah, no shit. (laughs) That's something that I've had... I'm committed into you... Kind of. <laughs> well, even even when we got married, like, look, my, my my wife is great. I'm very happy. We're very happily married, but we joke about how every step of being engaged and it would be a week of me being like, I don't think I can do this. And then I would emotionally get to the place where I'm able to look at wedding invitations. And then the next thing that we have to do, the next benchmark to hit before the wedding, I'm like, I don't know. And then we get there right as it's about to happen. Also, my parents got divorced when I was in high school. So that's there, too. Yeah. You're like, couldn't you have done it at a different time so I could have stayed in one place? Like, the times I've gotten divorced was elementary school, not fucking high school when I can just move out and have my own. Oh my God. Yeah, I it wish, just, I it wish never. Life on no one. <laughs> yeah, well, even like we move, so we live in LA now. We were in New York for years. I believe we met in New York, but I remember hanging out with you after I moved to LA. But um, okay. now we live in LA, and it's uh, being out here is very suburban feeling compared to New York. LA is more stabilizing than New York because you, unless you're rich, you have to move every couple of years because it always feels like, okay, this is my budget. And then they raise the rent 5% every year. So then within two years, it's outside your budget and you're like, fuck, I got to find somewhere else. So I feel very fortunate that my old apartment, I was there for five years and they were like slumlords. They were horrible, but it was affordable. And then they kicked us out because they wanted to raise the rent. And then I found this new place and I've been here for six years and it was 10 minute walk away. So I've been in the same neighborhood for 11 years. That's like most people that's like crazy because you're always trying to like find a place that you can afford. And I think it might change a little bit. That's the one nice thing about COVID is so many people have left. This would be the perfect time to move in the sense that you might actually get something nice and affordable because that was never an option before. Yeah, your your experience feel like doesn't feel very New York in that like I feel like every two years I was getting kicked out of a a place or the rent was going up or something but that's great I mean I think you need because you've been in New York you said you're from Jersey so you've been in that area your whole life I've been in New York 17 years I think oh my god yeah I'm exhausted just hearing it I was I was there for 11 years and I I got out do you remember the end of the first Mission Impossible where the helicopter blade stops three inches from his neck at the very end? Like, that's how I escaped New York. I was like, I'm about to quit everything in my life unless I go somewhere else. Like, I had, had like, a week of shelf life left in doing comedy. But, yeah, 17 years is a while to be in the grind of trying not to die in the city. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I feel fortunate, except for this year, I've traveled a lot of it. So it's not like I was stuck in a box. Like, I, I don't feel like I had that the way people kind of make New York sound depressing and sad, where it's just like, you go in the subway, you go to your job, which is, is in a cubicle, and then you go to your little home, which is also a box. And it just becomes this little like rat race. I never felt that way. First of all, because I was always doing two things. I was either doing some kind of, you know, dead end job plus comedy. And I was always outside of the house. Or when I started doing comedy full time, I was constantly traveling. So I was at a place where I was gone two to five days a week. So yeah. I live here, but do I, do I? It's like, your home base. I yeah. New, I bought a new bed. I had a bed since I was 21. So I had this bed for like over almost 15 years. And I hated, I hated it when I got it, it was on sale. And I was like, it's on sale. And I, and the bed frame, the clearly the mattress is fine, but this bed frame, I've, I hated it since day one. And I finally was like, I'm fucking buying, I'm 35 years old. I'm buying a bed. Like I'm fucking buying a bed. And I researched it for months, but you know, it costs money. And I'm like, I was like, whatever I work, I work. Like, I'm like, I don't know. I just couldn't get myself around buying this big purchase when my bed worked. There was nothing wrong with it. I just hated it. I hated it. <laughs> well, you're only there so a third of your life. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I hated it. And so finally I was like, and it just took up too much room. And you know, what am I, I hate it. So I do all this research. I find my magical bed and I buy it February 25th. Um, I was leaving for a European tour from like the 28th to most of March. I was going to be, I was supposed to be gone in Europe. So I'm like, why did I even, why the fuck did I buy a bed before I'm going to be gone for a month and a half? And then my tour schedule, I had a whole 2020 tour where I was gone almost every weekend. And I was like, why did I, why did I feel like that was an important purchase? Like who the fuck cares? And then, you know, things get canceled. I've been here and I'm like, best purchase I've ever made. It's also like, I shouldn't have spent the money because clearly I needed the money, but I love my bed. I love my bed. Well, <laughs> like, well this is a, this is a thing that like, if I was still in New York, I've been out here for two and a half years, I would be so on the same page of like, who cares about the bed? Just like, it's a bed. It works. The mattress is there. You just sleep on it. Once you move to, I think, I think anywhere, not New York. It's crazy to not have a nice bed. I think it's just in New York, you're so about your mission in life. Whatever you're, you're there to do something, like for us, comedy, but for other people, you know, maybe you're trying to destroy the world with banking. I don't know. Whatever reason people move there. So, like, you yeah. don't have as much time for, like, the, the frilly things in life. You're barely in your apartment anyway. When you're sleeping, you're, like, you're thinking about the shit you have to do the next day or a guy that tried to stab you on the way into your building. You're busy. As soon as yeah, you yeah. as soon as you move to LA, you're like, I need a nice bed. We should get one of those nice couches. What are those couches that the, the U shape? I, we I need definitely the forest. We need more plants. Yes, it, you it, you just become weak. You become so much weaker <laughs> when you leave New York. So like when I hear you talking, I'm like, I was. It's just weird. My wife had a bed that she was sleeping in when we started dating, and it was an old. It was like a bed for a child. Like it just all it was missing was the race car outline that you would have slept in if you were six. <laughs> and she had it for like a couple years. And I remember like sleeping. I would literally sleep like on my side with my hand on the windowsill. But it just never occurred to us to get a nicer bed. It's functional. If it's functional, it's functional. Barely functional. I think you actually said it too when you were like, it's a difference between because I I still have like a day job and I obviously was working bullshit jobs in New York while doing comedy that's the part that gets tiresome it's yeah. like anything in life there's trade-offs you know yeah. you live in the best city in the world but you sleep in a shitty bed for 12 years and you don't think about it i thought about it most days oh you did I okay 
<laughs> just like that's always your last thought before you go to sleep. Have you ever thought about living somewhere else or new, you feel like New York is the home base for you until it's uh, time to shake hands with death? Probably oh. the latter. Um, so I wanted to phrase that the I, most depressing way I could possibly Yeah, say. no, I, I, I will die in this bed. Um, I had moments where I was like, I'm going to move to L.A. in the sense, but it was always running away from a breakup or running away from this industry that I felt was um, ignoring me. So it was always like a threat. Like, if you don't, you know what I mean? If you don't love me, New York <laughs> or industry or man that I like, I will move to L.A. And I had a really bad breakup 10 years ago and I thought about it. And the only thing that stopped me is I found out he moved to LA oh, no. and I was like, fuck that. I don't want to be anywhere near him. <laughs> so, um, so that, that kind of stopped it. And then, um, I did actually go out there for a month after that breakup and I stayed up because one of my other close friends, a friend that I've had for like 15 years, um, she was, she moved to LA and I would always go out there to visit her and to do stand up and stuff. And I stayed with her for a month and I was, and I just cried. She was wonderful. Um, I was not, and I hated it. I hated, like, I loved being there and I was happy to be there with her, but I was like, I don't like, and so every time I go to LA, I just don't like the scene there. Mm-hmm. And all my other girlfriends that are here, we, you know, we've all taken time where we spent time in LA for work or whatever. We all come back and we go, there's so much that's great about LA. And if I wasn't a stand up comic, I would have moved there years ago, but as a comedian and I would say an East coast comedian, meaning like I grew up on the East coast, my anger, I bombed so much in California. I had this three minute joke about a woman asking to cut in line because all she had was a card. (laughs) And I go, you know what I mean? And I go, yeah, of course. But then as we're waiting for the person in front of us to check out, she's like, you know, my best friend's mother died. And I'm like, um, I'm sorry to hear that. And she goes, you know, she died during the holidays and you know, when someone dies through the holidays, it ruins the holidays for the rest of their life. And this is going to ruin her life. And I was like, of course. And she goes, you know, when my own mother died and I was like, what the fuck? Like, this, are you fucking kidding? Like, and I, I go on this huge diatribe and it's like this long thing about like, you know, I, I agreed to let you cut in line, but I didn't agree to start the sadness open mic. And I remember doing it in a club right outside of San Francisco and it bombs like bombs. And I was like, is this because you, that you're just chill and you wouldn't like you just be like go surf or like go like you know what I mean like yeah and like I had this like long conversation with the audience I was like tell me why this is bombing and it really is like my New York New Jersey anxiety stress uh this gregarious gesticulating personality it's kind of a lot and sometimes people just don't relate to it and then I come to California and I love your smoothies and I love your beach and I love your sunshine <laughs> and I love your, you know, your cafes. But comedically, I feel like I can't be myself. I feel like they're rejecting. And don't get me wrong. I'm in therapy to help with all the bad stuff of my personality. But the thing that I like about who I am is so unappreciated there that I, I never went to L.A. because I found my voice and then LA was like, we hate your voice. And I was like, Oh, well then I'm just going to find people that like my voice. So then fast forward, I started touring Europe a lot. Um, That same friend that was in LA moved to London and she's been out in London for four years. So I always go to visit her and I do shows and through, through us touring Europe and, and being in London together, London is like LA and New York together, but it has that New York vibe and has that New York scene of comedy where they love this and I do so well there. And I was like, and so then I was like, London, I would move to London. And I was 
you know, again, it's always a boy. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll move to London for my career in this boy. And then the boy disappears. And I'm like, fuck this place. Fuck London. Um, and he- London sucks. <laughs> I, I, it's funny. I still love London with my whole heart. And it's one of my favorite places to perform and to just be. And it's so similar to New York in the sense that like the subway makes sense that, you know, th- certain things just make sense because when you live in a city, all cities start to, you know, I went to Tokyo and it's like, yeah, you, you, you just kind of get the subway system pretty quickly where you go, okay, they're okay. Tokyo is kind of like the DC subway and London's kind of like the New York subway, which literally um, New York based their subway on London. The only difference is they made ex- express tracks and they never made express tracks for London. So the subways take fucking forever. But in general, a subway is a subway is a subway. And that makes me feel comfortable as opposed to LA is a highway. And I hate highways and fuck highways. Like, you know, it's like that kind of thing. But because I travel so much and I get to taste every city, I don't find myself ever leaving New York because I I still love it here, even though I've been here half my life. I, I look, I love what you're saying. I mean, I, 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 I wasn't from I, I didn't really have like much of a home. I, I'm sounding so depressed on this. It's fine, whatever. I moved around a lot. But like I don't have a home. I've never had a home and <laughs> then never, you start crying. I've never had a home or friends. No. I guess like my family kind of settled in the DC Maryland area, but it like I said, for me it was high school and then I was off to college and then I moved to New York. So I was in New York for eleven years. That is by far the longest I've ever lived anywhere in my life. So when I think of like where I'm from, even though I wasn't there till I was twenty one, I'm like, that does feel like home to me. Everybody in New York is funny just based off how hard it is to live there and the shit that you've endured that day. I remember one time I got hit by a car and forgot to tell my wife. I got hit by a car <laughs> in the morning and I was like is I was I was a tour guide. That wasn't so- the worst you happened to you that no, day. no no it, it actually it really was not because I was like I was a tour guide already that's the worst thing to happen my job is a tour guide and I'm like pointing yeah. at the uh I'm pointing at the uh world trade center and I'm like oh you know it's 1776 feet tall like talking to midwest moms and then a car hits me and like it hits me in the arm but it hits me hard like I had a big bruise there for a couple weeks and I freak out on the car. Like, I scream at the car, and I, like, point into the windshield. Yeah. And then I go back to my tour, and I, like, go back to my goofy, oh, sorry about that. Ooh, that New York. Ooh, the Big Apple got me. And they're just staring at me with, like, looks of horror on their face. Yeah. That happens at 930 in the morning. I, like, from that point on, I had to go to a second job. I had three shows. I'm sure I bombed one of them. I was an improv teacher at that time, so I think I had, like, a class that night. I get home, my wife's like, how was your day? I was like, oh, yeah, it was fine. You know, just another day. Like, God, my arm hurts. And then I go, I wake up at three in the morning. I'm like, I got hit by a fucking car. I should probably put ice on my goddamn arm. And I wake up my wife and I'm like, I got hit by a car. I forgot to tell you. And then we have a talk at three in the morning. She's like, did you need to go to the hospital? I'm like, I just literally forgot that I got hit by a car. So, yeah, that's like. I, I the do most New York story I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we had one the other day cause we're, we're starting to look at houses. So we've met like a couple, uh, brokers. And, uh, so one guy is a buddy from New York of mine that like lives out here and does real estate. Now when I'm talking to him, he's like, uh, here's what we're going to do. Huh? We're going to go here. We're going to go here. And if they say this, I got him over a chair. I'm going to fuck them. They can't say that to us. And if they say this, we're going to walk. And I'm like, I like this vibe. This is how I want yeah, 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 someone yeah, looking yeah. for a house. 
And then I talked to this other lady. Uh, I think I can say her name. I won't say her last name, but she's like, her name is spelled uh, Liana. And then she's like, it's actually pronounced uh, Leana, like Leana Hammock. And I'm like, you're from California. She's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, there couldn't be a better microcosm of the difference between the place I lived for 11 years and the place I've been for three years and the way these real estate people are talking to me. Yeah. That laid back. That's why the, that's why aura, your bit doesn't work. What, yeah. What's the aura you want from this, uh, this house? Like, what does your spirit say that you want? For, like, you know what Literally. I mean? Like, and she's just, do you feel like, where are you going to put your crystals? Let's start there. Do you feel like you need a lot of air, like a lot of sunshine? Like I just, New York's like, fuck it. We're going to get you a huge place. <laughs> Square foot bedroom. What do you want? What do you need? That phrase, New York Minute, is not a joke. We came, uh, oh, no. uh, we went back to see our family from LA. We, we came back for two months in November, December this year. So we've been out. We've, we've been quarantining fully in LA just because of like health reasons for, you know, my wife has a, a, a thing. So she's in one of the risk categories. Yeah. So full quarantine. And then we're like, you know what? Let's drive out to the East Coast. That's the safest way to do it. We brought our dog and we we're like, we'll just be super safe and wear a mask and all that. All the things I don't need to say so that my audience doesn't think I'm a no masker, whatever. So we did it safe and we drove back to the East Coast. And for about a week, we were in Long Island. And just going into a place and ordering food and having it ready in two minutes, we were like, God damn, I miss this. I miss, yeah, I yeah. miss just the quick service of New York. I think more than – like it's just something I, I never even thought of when I was there of like you order something on the side of the street from a vendor and he just cooks it for you in front of you and it's ready in two minutes and you're on your way to work or you hop on the subway – it's not like that here. People take their time. People are people like you like you order food from someone they're like sounds good, bro. They take a sip of water, saunter back. It's like, what are you doing? Are they paying you here? Yeah. Like did you just walk into the store and step behind the counter? That is the hardest adjustment out here, I think more than anything else is like people aren't fighting for their lives. That's that's really what it is. You'll appreciate the story. I, I was in London and you know how the subway system is like you miss a train and you're fucked. You're late to what you're going to. Yeah. So London doesn't work that way. Like they they have trains like every two minutes as opposed to New York. Your best case is every 10 minutes and oftentimes, especially late at night, it could be like every 30 minutes. And I've been abandoned by trains that just never show up. So me and Maria, my friend that lives in London, we're going to a gig and we just missed the train. Like, just, like it, they closed the door. And I, I, I do that fucking like, are you <laughs> yeah. fucking kidding me? And I hit the train. <laughs> Everyone looks at me like I'm a psychopath, but I'm like full, like, fuck, like, ugh. <laughs> so I hit this train and I'm not exaggerating. Another train just pulls up in front of me while I'm finishing being like, fuck. And like, <laughs> it opens up and you're like, <laughs> on with all the people that just saw you have a meltdown and you're like, I left my baby on that train. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? What's like, the what's the possible excuse for that reaction? Sorry, I, li- I live in a city where there's not great infrastructure with the <laughs> with the subway. It just looked insane, insane. There's a level that's acceptable that you just. I know the dividing point because I had a friend. She would get on the subway, and she said, "Sometimes I just sing on in the subway car. Like I just feel like singing, and I sing." And I was like, "Okay, that's too much. Yeah. That's like borderline homeless behavior." But <laughs> I'm like, okay, so right below that, like the kicking and hitting a door, like if I saw that in New York, I'd be like, yeah, 
I don't know. This is just going to be like a I Miss New York podcast at this point. But yeah, that's. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. Here's it's, Nothing's it's, happening if it makes you feel better. We're doing nothing and we're crumbling and um, hopefully somebody will rescue us. The two places we live are on fire. And if you go to Nashville, people are like having orgies. Yeah, everybody's moving to Austin and you're like, ah, oh, God damn it. All right. I like Texas, I guess. Yeah, my wife, my wife was like, so as much as I moved when I was a kid, she did not move at all. She's like a full New Yorker. So moving out to L.A. was a big deal for her. Like for me, I was like, who cares? Just let's uproot our lives and go. Like friends yeah. are an illusion. So she <laughs> – uh, uh, Can that be the name of this podcast? Friends are an illusion. Friends are an illusion <laughs> or we're all just meat with holes. One of those things. Uh, <laughs> so it was a big deal for her to move to L.A. And then I think I was – I must have been listening to a podcast or something where – it was just comics talking about moving to Austin. And she was like, if in a year you tell me you want to move to Austin, I'm going to lose my shit on you. I'm like, I haven't even mentioned it, but she's like, I can already hear every comic talking about it. And I know you, I know you're going to be like, moving isn't a thing for you. And then like the more she told me how worried she was about me wanting to move to Austin, I was like, maybe I do want to move to Austin. Like she's selling it in being mad at me. Yeah. About how nice it's. I know it's a great place. I know it's it's cheaper. There's no property tax. Like you're like. It sounds like they're building a lovely comedy community there. You'd have a ton of spots. Probably easier to travel yeah. from the middle of the country. Yeah. I already yeah. know you're thinking it, and I'm like, no, you're making it harder on yourself by selling it as well. I was as looking you are. at these properties are actually kind of really nice, yeah. but yeah, we can only afford a condo in Tarzana in L.A., but in Austin, it's we have a mini mansion. We have a pool. And somebody cleaning the pool for us daily. No, being here is definitely highlighted in a good way and a bad way. Like she works in the industry, so it's like she's in writer's room. So it's good for her to be in L.A. And I've gotten cool stuff since I've been out here, too. There is something to be said for being plugged into the network of people that are making decisions. Like that, obviously, COVID is not that I could be anywhere right now, but – in non-COVID times. Like, so that's, that's what can be said that's nice for LA and we got a dog. I think, what are we, what are we doing with comedy? We're, we're trying to connect. Like, I think I felt really alone and really like a freak most of my life. And any person or community that made me feel less of a freak, I was drawn to. And in general, you know, I think that's why I glom onto friends. Like if you talk to me about friendship, it's like, 25 years, 20 years, 15 years. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, God help you. If I grab you, you're, you can't go anywhere. You're going to get some crazy text messages. Um, but in general, I think the comedy community, both watching it when I was a teenager and then, you know, being a part of it. And then now, you know, uh, it being, I don't want to say my identity. I've actually worked really hard to not make comedy my identity, but it is, uh, we'll say a, a large personality trait is that I joke all the time. And I don't take anything seriously. But I I do find that if the whole point of becoming a comedian is to find your people and to connect with people and have your perspective and ideas validated, it is hard to be anywhere physically in a space around a certain group of people or wherever where your ideas aren't connecting, whether that's being a laugh or somebody thinking you're too aggressive or, or somebody um, uh, thinking you're, you're weird or whatever. And I think I've spent my whole life surrounding myself with people that either appreciate my weird or don't think I'm weird at all. And I think that's why I've survived New York city for 17 years is because it's the only place 
that doesn't make me feel too much. It doesn't, I don't feel crazy here. I feel actually like one of the normal ones. The amount of people that tell me I'm well adjusted and it makes me laugh. And they're like, why are you laughing? And I was like, because you put me anywhere else and I am the craziest person in a room. But in New York City, I'm Buddha on the mountaintop. Like, how is that possible? And I think that's where my survival here has come is that it's always made me feel not even just less alone because there's so many people, but like in my heart, less alone. I've had a lot of people like tell me I'm yelling when I don't realize I'm yelling in L.A. (laughs) That's the best way to say it. Like, I'm not yelling. When you were getting into comedy, did you feel like you clicked with other comics right away or did it take a while? So my story is a little difficult because I was 16 years old. So I, I really, I really stood out. Like I don't look my age now and I definitely didn't look my age when I was uh, 16. So I was really young. I was really like, like determined and stuff like that. So of course, everybody is so much older than me. So I don't feel like I, like I, people were really, there's tons of awful stories. I could give you tons of awful stories, but the people that were good to me were really good to me and treated me like a little sister and and looked out for me. And I, those are like lifelong friends and people I still am grateful for, but like clicking with people took until I was probably in my early twenties and starting to make a name for myself in my community. And I was starting to be more at the age of other comedians starting. So, you know, I met my friend Maria who I've talked about when I was 21. Um, uh, um, Carmen Lynch is a really good friend of mine. I think I met her when I was like 23, although she was at the second show I've ever was done, uh, ever did. Um, uh, same with Adrian Appalucci. Like there's just like a bunch of people that I met in my early twenties, like that 20, 21, 22 time, which is also when I first got on TV and, and getting on TV here kind of, um, if you, people didn't know me from doing shows, they knew me because I got this thing. So um, I just started to feel more a part of the community. And then by being more a part of the community, I saw different, cause as a female comic, it's a slightly better now, but as a female comic, you're never on a show with another female comic. So it's really hard to make female comic friends. And like I made guy comic friends and I had tons of guy comic friends, but I don't think I really started to feel like I could completely be myself until I started making other female comic friends because our, our path is so much harder and so different that you know, I found myself like I was really close with Baron Vaughn. Like he was one of my first like good comedy friends in my early twenties. And I would complain to him and he'd be like, well, just do this. And I'm like, that's not an option, Baron. Like, you know what I mean? Like you would find this kind of being like, are you fucking crazy? So I had friends, but it wasn't until I started to have a little bit of uh, a, um, a community here was when I started to, and like, I had to fight to see my, like, I've always said, I'm never going to be on a show. It's a little bit different now, but like I was never on a show with Carmen or Maria or Adrian. We would have to be like, Hey, where are you tonight? Okay. Well, I'm going to be at stand up New York. Well, I'm going to be at New York comedy club. Hey, in between, do you want to go get coffee? Oh yeah, yeah. And we had to make an effort as opposed to guys. They would just be in green rooms together. They never even had to make an effort to be friends. So it, it took me a lot longer to, and I was also an insecure, I'm, you know, still dealing with my insecurities, but I was a really insecure kid doing something that was really scary, but important to me. I think it's hard for people to understand what it's like to be in a field that's um, where you're, there's just not a lot of your gender in that field. I think I have a decent understanding of it because when I was in college, I tried to be a teacher for a little bit. And I, wanted, I was working with a, I was a teacher's assistant in a second grade classroom. The entire school, it was like 
me as a teacher's assistant kind of going from classroom to classroom and like 12 black women. And that was like the faculty there. And when we were all yeah. talking, I would just be like, mm-hmm. I have nothing to add to the conversation. They kind of have their own thing going. And like once in a while, they look over at me and it's good that you're here. I'm like, sure. It's you're just nobody's being mean. You'll appreciate this. I remember this so clearly. This was like 12 years ago and I wanted to work in Tennessee because my friend was there. So I went to Nate Bergazzi, who was a friend of mine. And I was like, hey, how do I get into Zany's at, um, in Tennessee and uh, I think it's Nashville because I want to work there so I can see my friend. And he goes, oh, here's the guy's email. Uh, just talk about hockey. And I was like, Nate, that's, I don't, I don't know anything about, I, I know <laughs> even less about hockey than I do about football. And I don't know anything about football. I was like, why, why can't I send him a tape? Like what? And I can't tell you how many times, like I'm sitting at a table, I'm in a green room. And like, I just, I, I zone out where I'm like, it'd be like if somebody's talking about how you twist your hair as a black woman to make it look a certain way. And you're like, I would use that shea butter. That's a great, yeah, shea it's butter. A good like, shea what butter. do you, what do you say? So they're just like Tom Brady. And I was like, I like Tom. It's a short name. You can remember it. Like, what am I adding to it? So it was like the same kind of thing that like, my guy friends would make recommendations to how to get more work that I was like, what? Yeah. yeah. What do, what do I got to mail him a puck? What do I do? What does <laughs> talk about hockey mean? You just be like, hockey's like cold soccer. And then you never work at, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's the subject line to my email. Um, exactly. Um, Liz, I know you got to go. Uh, thank you for doing my show. I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, yeah it was um, a pleasure chatting. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah. And this is awesome. I, I enjoyed uh, bitching the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you soon. Yeah. Later, buddy. All right. Later. Thanks for listening to the show. To hear more Bring in the Backups or help us grow, please subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a written five-star review. Or subscribe and hit the notification bell on YouTube. For info on the show or how to see Eric live, visit erichelwig.com to hop on the newsletter. 